this has been a week filled with so much unknown, so many questions and so many frustrations. In our house, it's been filled with anxiety and fears and arguing and meltdowns, and that happening for the kids too. It's hard, it's hard to help explain to our kids what's going on in this world. It's hard for us as parents to make sense of what's going on and to figure out school and fears and, and all the news that we're reading online. And so it's been a challenge, a challenge for us as our kids are, are freaking out and melting down and they don't have the words to explain why they're feeling the way that we're, they're feeling and we don't have the words to explain quite what we're trying to understand or go through. And so we're gonna do some work today more importantly, I believe God's going to do some work, but I know in the midst of this exhaustion that the only way that this work happens is by the power of God. It's God doing what only he can do. If you're watching with us live, we would love to pray with you. And so we have moderators online in the chat. And so let one of them know that, they, that you would love for them to pray for you. And if you're new to faith, we're so glad that you're with us this morning. Um, it's, I know it's a weird time to be a follower of Jesus. Um, and it's a weird time, especially if you're new to the whole Jesus thing, trying to consider this and understand what it means to follow Jesus or to trust Jesus. We can't make to, wait to meet you, and hopefully that will happen soon. I was reading a book about a month ago before we really ever began to hear about COVID-19 the way we understand it now. And I've been reading it in my own personal life. I've been experiencing God at work renewing me, reteaching re me what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to listen to God, what it means to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I was reading this book called Reappearing Church. It's by a pastor in Melbourne, Australia. He's an expert in understanding historically patterns of renewal and awakening in the Christian church. He's also very familiar with what it looks like to lead in a post-Christian culture. And so I want to read a snippet from this um, because I think it's really significant what he says. The secularist life script in which humans attempt to live without having to confront the great questions of life creates insulation against faith. However, this insulation is not as secure as it may seem. And then a little bit later he goes on, and at this point it gets a little bit prophetic. He says, if we endured a global flu pandemic, like the one in the early part of the 20th century that killed millions of people across the world, how we view and process our personal potentials and possibilities would be deeply shaken. The way that you and I see the world is often dependent on particular political and economic and social and religious factors. And when those get disrupted, it challenges the way we think about things. And if, and if in those moments, as things are disrupted, if we turn to Jesus, what we might find is renewal. If the church reevaluates and turns to Jesus, what we might find is we might find people turning to the one thing that can offer hope in the midst of this broken world. And so right now we're in the midst of all this. See, we're in the midst of this knowing things will change, but we don't know how they'll change. We know that our kids will be shaped by this the way that entire generations have been previously shaped by things like the World War II or generations being shaped by 9-11. And so now this even happens on a global scale with, with people more interconnected than ever before. And so we know that things are changing, yet we have no idea what it's going to look like on the other side. We walk into the unknown, yet we don't know what that looks like. Yet even in that unknown, we know there is one constant. God, who has always been with us, will still be with us. God walks ahead of us in this, and he's not surprised by it. 
It's not catching him off guard. And even in the midst of the evil and the pain and the brokenness, we have a God who works all things together for good. C.S. Lewis in the 1940s wrote something profound in the midst of fears and isolations due to the threat of nuclear war. He said regarding Satan, Satan would say, I will cause anxiety, fear, and panic. I'll shut down business, schools, places of worship, and sports events. I'll cause economic turmoil. Then Jesus responds, I'll bring together neighbors, restore the family unit. I'll bring dinner back to the kitchen table. I'll help people slow down their lives and appreciate what really matters. I'll teach my children to rely on me and not the world. I'll teach my children to trust me and not their money and material resources. See, what if in this moment of pain and isolation and fear, what if God is simultaneously working together all things for good? I want us to jump into our text today from John chapter 11 as we look at the final sign. And so I'm going to start in verse 1. It says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now let's stop there for a minute because this is incredible. Especially if we think about this in our own context. Jesus says to them as they're freaking out about one of their friends who's sick. They love someone and they're afraid. They have no idea what's about to happen. And Jesus responds in that moment, looking them in the eyes and saying, this sickness will not end in death. Listen, this sickness can't win. It can't win. I don't know what COVID-19 looks like for your family or how personal this is to you. I don't know how overwhelming the fears are for you. I don't know what's waking you up at night. I don't know how sick you are or how someone you know is. But what I do know, the sickness can't win. Because Jesus already won. Now, I don't want to miss something, though, about that. Because there can be even some tension in that statement. And there's some tension even when Jesus does this miracle. Because even as Jesus makes this promise and as they hear it, they aren't really sure what Jesus is going to do here. They're not confident that this means Lazarus is going to be okay now or maybe someday in eternity. And Jesus then also makes this odd statement. It's for God's glory so that God's Son might be glorified through it. Which can be unsettling. Because in the midst of real pain and real fears, Lazarus actually dies. Yet Jesus also says in this death, in this pain, in this sickness, it would somehow glorify Jesus. What I think can help in verse 35, what we find is after Lazarus dies, Jesus cries. Which both need to be held in tension together. Jesus weeps at the loss of his friend and Jesus promises that he will be glorified through it. There is pain and hurt, yet God is glorified in the midst of it. And so know this, in the midst of COVID-19, Jesus is crying with you. Jesus is crying over the fear. Jesus is crying over the pain. Jesus is crying over the loss, over the isolation, over the anxiety. He weeps. And know that this is simultaneously true, that Jesus will be glorified. 
people in this moment will turn to Jesus. People will find their hope in Jesus. People will find rest and victory in Jesus in, in ways that they haven't been before. And so this all goes down and Jesus doesn't rush there, which is a bit interesting. He actually waits a couple of days. Which if you've ever been asking Jesus to show up and do something, like to do the miracle, to, to make this sickness go in a way, and it feels like God doesn't act right away, um, that's what's happening here. Jesus waits a couple of days. Then he tells the disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now the disciples, like they usually are, are a little slow to get what's going on. And in the course of waiting, Lazarus has died. And so Jesus tells them, he makes it clear, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so let me pick it up in verse 17. This continues and it says this, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What Martha does is what we so often do. In the unknown, we look for who we can blame. That's what Martha does. Jesus, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus, if you would have done what you say you can do, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus, if you would have been as powerful as you supposedly are, this wouldn't have happened. Or maybe we respond the same way. If people would have responded like they were told, if this wouldn't have happened, if people would have just washed their hands or stayed home, if people would have just sheltered like they were supposed to, this wouldn't have happened. Or maybe you feel it a little bit more personally with the anxiety and fears in your own home. If, if you would have called, if you would have listened, if you wouldn't, wouldn't have been working when I was talking, or if you would have put your phone away and paid attention to the fears that I was expressing to you, then maybe I wouldn't be hurt. Maybe I wouldn't be frustrated. Maybe I wouldn't feel alone. It's what we do in the unknown. We look for someone to blame. This is what Martha is saying. Jesus where were you? And so then she continues, verse 22, and says, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of the God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary repeats the same thing. Jesus, if you would have been here. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. There's this moment in the midst of the pain and Jesus 
cries. And, and it's interesting when Jesus cries, Jesus already knows what he's going to do. Yet he sees their pain and he sees his friend has died and he cries. In the pain, we can look for where God isn't or we can choose to look for where God is. We can look at what God didn't do or how he didn't show up, or we can realize that he is sitting there with us. We can look and point at the lack of power, or we can see what the people around Jesus saw when they said, see how he loved him. I want you to do that right now. And by right now, I I mean like literally in this moment, I want you to imagine for yourself, um, I want you to think back about this past week, about the painful, the challenging, the fearful moments. I I I want us to pray together. And so I want you to do the best you can to maybe silence any distractions. And I'm gonna invite God to speak and I'm gonna ask us to listen because I believe that God can speak to us and do what he did for Mary and Martha and and be present in a moment of pain. So let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you speak to us. We believe that you are with us. We believe that you hear us in these moments. So I pray that in these moments, in the midst of wherever we are watching this, that you would silence any distractions that you would silence the noises around us, that you would silence the lies going on in our heads, that you would help us to be still and to know that you are God, to hear your words of hope and peace and life to us. Jesus, as we pray, what I ask, I ask that you would speak to us and I would ask that you speak to us by bringing to mind a moment from this past week. I pray that you would bring to mind maybe a moment that we're overwhelmed by fear or anxiety. Maybe it was a conflict and we said something or somebody said something to us and that's just, and and there's pain and there's hurt in that moment. As you have that come to your mind, I want you to, I want you to sit in that for a moment. I want you to remember that moment, remember the way you felt. Maybe remember the fears that were looping through your head in that moment or the words that were said that hurt you. Jesus, in that moment, as we imagine ourselves in that place, Jesus, can you show us where you were? Show us where you were. Show us what you were doing. Show us the look in your eyes. Show us the things that you would say. Now, if in that moment, if what comes to your mind was something that would make you say, see how he loved me, that's Jesus. Because that's what Jesus always do. If you saw Jesus weeping over your pain, that's, of course, that's exactly what Jesus did here. If you, if you saw Jesus embracing you, of course, that's what Jesus would do. Because even in the midst of the pain and the brokenness, and even Jesus, knowing what's going to be on the other side of all of this, he meets you in that moment and is present sitting with you. Now, we've not even gotten to the end of, even to the miracle yet. And so it continues in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, 
Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Death always comes before resurrection. There's a lot of darkness in our world right now that so many people feel trapped in what feels like a grave. Places and moments and fears and worries where you feel like you are in the stench of death. And it's often in those dark places that we can be overwhelmed by the stench of death or we can walk into the light. Notice, when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave, he also has him leave something behind. As Jesus resurrects you, by the power of his own resurrection, he calls you out of the grave and he asks you to leave some things behind. Because sometimes the things that you turn to in order to survive the darkness is not what God has in mind. And so you can use this season to try to cope with the darkness to survive the stench of the grave. Or you can shine some light into the dark places. And that's the tension because this is not only a battle against a virus, it is a spiritual battle as well. In Italy, adult content providers have made their websites available for free in order to help people, in order to make them um, feel less alone while, while they're feeling isolated. That's coping with the darkness. That's trying to survive while you continue to sit in the grave. For me, in the matter of a week, I watched the data on my phone usage go up by an average of hours per day in social media apps. That's coping with the darkness. Like, if I'm being honest, that's often not me connecting with the world. It's me coping with the darkness. It's living in a world on my phone instead of living in the reality that's happening in my own living room. For some of you, you are anxiously waiting in the darkness for what a politician or what a news source will say about what you should think right now. And hear me, those things might be valuable and helpful, and we want to make sure you have everything you need. But know this, if you're looking for someone else to give you hope and it's not Jesus, you're just coping with the darkness. But Jesus calls you out of the grave. Jesus says, you come out of that grave. Walk into the light. And so what if instead of coping with the darkness right now, we use this cultural moment to walk into the light? What if you started reading your Bible more than you ever have? What if you learned right now to listen to the voice of God? What if you worshiped with your family and didn't care how silly it looked? What if one day when your kids looked back at COVID-19, they remembered the way you worshiped? They remembered the way you did church? What if you ask God who you should reach out to right now? What if, they, what if you ask God right now, who should I text? Who should I encourage? Who should I maybe, maybe ask if they have anything that they need? What if you had times where social media was off? What if instead of your phone being the first thing you reached to in the morning, what if you reached to Jesus first? 
What if you found ways to limit the things that were meant to escape reality and you found ways to connect with other human beings in the midst of this painful, broken, and scary world? Jesus is calling you out of that grave. And he may even have some grave clothes that he's asking you to leave behind. He's inviting you to walk into the light. Can you imagine if Lazarus chose to stay in the grave that day? Walk out of the fear you're living in. Walk out of the fear toward Jesus who says he is bigger and stronger and more powerful than anything you're up against. Jesus already won against death once. He's not going to be stopped by any virus, any fear, any anxiety. Walk out of the shame. Walk away from the lies that are stuck on repeat in your head right now. The lies that the enemy is telling you and trust in who Jesus says you are. Walk away from the guilt because when Jesus went to the grave, he left guilt in the grave. And so walk away from that guilt because he's already paid the price for your sin. And so the things that you're regretting right now, the things that you said and the things that you did, the choices you've made already just in this past week, walk away from those knowing that Jesus has already paid the price. Walk out of the loneliness into peace, knowing that Jesus says, I am right there with you. Jesus is with you and Jesus is calling you out of the grave. He's calling us all out of the grave. He's calling the church out of the grave. And I don't know what life looks like outside of it, but I do know that Jesus is leading us into it. So let's go. Jesus, thank you so much for the life you give us. Thank you that you are a God who resurrects a God who raises the dead. And Jesus, there are some places in our life where we feel alone. Help us know that you're there. Help us to learn to listen. Help us to learn to see. Help us to learn to trust. And Jesus, in these moments, there are probably even some things that are being revealed to us, maybe some things that aren't healthy, some ways that we cope with the darkness um, that we just need to leave behind. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would help us to leave those behind. And help us to leave those behind and walk into the light, the light that only you bring. The light of your joy and your peace and your forgiveness. Help us to trust and to see and to hold on to that.